For every issue of our quarterly print magazine, we choose a theme. This fall, the new issue's theme is one I particularly love, blood and guts. The issue includes reflections on our squishy, icky inner workings. This episode features three articles from the jam-packed Blood and Guts print issue adapted for radio. Each story is about the visceral realities of our own bodies. We have a story about FKA Twigs, an artist whose provocative body-contorting music videos have the habit of making people uncomfortable. We also have a deep look at how abortion is portrayed in films and on TV. But first, a story of lost identity. This story is read by author Kare Mugo, and the piece is called Critical Conditions. It was August 2012, one of those warm summer nights that holds the promise of adventure and the thrill of an open highway. The radio was turned up, and laughter filled the space between two bodies. An open window let the speeding air in to cool the rider's warm skin. Midnight travelers hopped up on caffeine, sped by in trucks. Teenagers in cars headed to the next party, swerving lightly in and out of white lines. Couples stared out at infinite blackness and, occasionally, each other. It happened fast. A deer leaped boldly across a highway, skirting speeding orbs of light. Seconds later, on the side of a Missouri highway, A.J. Strong lay pinned beneath the steering wheel of his overturned car. A blurry uncertainty hung over the moment, only one thought clear to him. I'm going to die. He'd imagined this moment many times, he tells me. It was one of my biggest fears. What if I get into an accident and they think they're picking up the sky, and they cut my clothing off and realize that I have all these female parts? And that is exactly what happened. Strong was transported to a hospital in St. Louis. There, Strong spent days in an intensive care unit before surgeons could operate on him. Then, another week in recovery. He had internal bleeding, a shattered shoulder, and a broken back that told the story of what happened on that dark highway. He cried as his body was mended back together. But it wasn't just the physical pain or the invasiveness and helplessness that comes with being hospitalized. As a patient, he lost his identity. Inside the hospital walls, he was no longer trans. As he told me, I had been living my life as a trans man, going by my chosen name for almost 10 years and asking my friends to use male pronouns. And then I get into this situation where who I really am completely disappears. I felt invisible. That person I had been living as, AJ, did not exist in that hospital setting. I became this female who was called by my old name and was treated as such. In the years that followed his accident, Strong began his physical transition through hormone therapy. He legally changed his name and gender and by all appearances and markers is male. Still, he worries about what would happen if he was in another car accident. Would his identity evaporate again? Caitlyn Jenner, Laverne Cox, Aidan Dolan, and other trans-identified persons are more visible than ever and are able to speak to mainstream audiences like never before. But what is notably missing from the conversation is a discussion about the barriers that trans people face in getting adequate medical care. A lack of understanding of trans identity, gender presentation, and the community's needs creates barriers to healthcare on every level. From insurance coverage to conversations over the pharmacy counter to the emergency room. 
Results from a 2009 Lambda legal survey of LGBTQ persons called When Healthcare Isn't Caring found that almost one-third of trans and gender non-conforming people had been refused healthcare they needed. Another 21% of trans and gender non-conforming people were subjected to harsh or abusive language by healthcare providers. One of the most basic medical needs of trans people is the right and means to physically bring one's body into alignment with one's gender. The mental and emotional well-being derived from this process, along with the benefits of passing as cisgender, like safety and reduced discrimination, are well known and documented. Yet medical treatments and procedures needed for a safe, informed, and healthy physical transition are strictly guarded by the medical community. Rules and criteria requiring trans people to prove these treatments and procedures are necessary. Yet, medical treatments and procedures needed for a safe, informed, and healthy physical transition are strictly guarded by the medical community. Through rules and criteria requiring that trans people prove these treatments and procedures are necessary. While these vary clinically, basic requirements usually include a period of ongoing psychological care, proof of a lived existence in the target gender, and in the case of sexual reassignment surgery, letters showing a mental health diagnosis all in order to prescribe sexual reassignment as the recommended treatment. Even when these requirements are met, many insurers opt to not cover hormone therapies, sexual reassignment surgery, and in some cases, the very mental health counseling and evaluations that are required by clinicians in order to meet the criteria for ongoing psychological care that is needed in order to physically transition. So many trans and gender queer people can't get insurance coverage for the help they need. The medical community also fails trans patients in lack in sensitivity. AJ Strong, who was in the car crash, is not alone in his experience of finding himself invisible in interactions with the healthcare system. Ola Osaze, a community activist who identifies as a trans fag feminist, told me, In many states, healthcare professionals don't understand the community and view us through a rabidly transphobic lens. They either refuse to treat us because, to them, our gender identity, presentation, and markers doesn't align with the kind of care we're seeking. For example, a trans man needing OBGYN services. For these reasons, many trans people simply avoid interacting with the healthcare system altogether, denying themselves much-needed preventive and even urgent care in order to limit their exposure to transphobia. In addition to all this, Lambda Legal reports that collectively, the trans community is much more likely to be low income and uninsured, and as a result, much less likely to have access to quality healthcare than cisgender people. They are also more likely to face higher rates of unemployment and work discrimination. Consequently, many trans people make less income than cisgender people or do not receive employer-based health insurance. The Affordable Care Act, which included the first federal protection against discrimination in access and health care for trans and gender non-conforming persons, expanded access for many in the community. But, as with employer-based insurance, insurers do not have to cover physical transition services, requiring people to pay out of pocket for these necessary treatments. That fact is not lost on many who witnessed the glowing response to Caitlyn Jenner's very public transition. She's lucky to have the resources to top-notch medical care to help her transition. 
The current approach of many doctors to trans identity began in the 1960s after the very public transition of Christian Jorgensen, a former U.S. Army clerk who sought gender transition treatments in Sweden. After more than two years of electrolysis, hormone treatments, and surgery, she returned to the United States. The New York Daily News announcing XGI becomes blonde beauty. In the decade after Jorgensen's public transition, there was growing demand by trans people for the same gender-affirming treatments and increased media coverage followed. In 1980, when the American Psychiatric Association added gender identity disorder to its Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the treatment of trans individuals and their access to healthcare became concretely embedded within the medical community. Trans identity formerly came to be regarded as an illness that, like any other, required protocols and regulations for treatments that safeguard both physicians and patients. Except that trans identity is not an illness. The most recent Diagnostic and Statistical Manual issued in 2013 has since removed the mental disorder label, reclassifying it as gender dysphoria. But this association continues to frame how trans people experience the healthcare system. For trans patients, this is significant. Providers are often required by insurance companies to adhere as closely as possible to the DSM guidelines and descriptors on the trans condition in order to ensure patients are not denied medical coverage for services. The creation of medical experts on trans identity and its categorization as a psychological disorder also informs how politicians, society, and institutions alike view trans individuals. This medicalization of trans identity has meant that doctors, not trans individuals, have defined an entire discourse on identity, one that is based on traditional alignment with society's conception of gender. Parallel with the history of reproductive rights for women, the question at the root of the professionalization of trans healthcare is whether some individuals know what is truly best for them and their bodies. Adri Strong, whose official diagnosis of gender identity disorder occurred before the DSM change, outwardly rejects the mental disorder label and doesn't think it should be necessary to access treatments needed for physical transition. As trans people, he told me, we spend a lot of time building ourselves up and building each other up, and then we go out in the world and have to convince others. The main idea is that we are human, just like everyone else, and there is nothing wrong with us. We are not sick. We are not mentally ill, but then we have to go through the system in order to physically transition and in order to get our prescriptions we must first see a psychologist and get a letter stating that we have a mental disorder. was writer Kare Mugo, reading her article, Critical Conditions. Kare is a queer writer from Nairobi, Kenya, who's now living in the Midwest. She likes to tell the stories she thinks should be heard. You can follow her on Twitter at the underscore warm underscore fruit, the warm fruit. And you can share the full article, Critical Conditions, from bitchmedia.org. 